Good morning. It's good to see you this week. Hopefully you've had a great week. Wouldn't you stand to your feet as we continue? Let's continue just celebrating Christ's resurrection and sing this great old hymn with me. All right? He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way.
This is Noah Proctor, and he is wearing his signature hat. He can probably tell you a little bit about that, but that's the way I have seen him every time. Noah, tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you, Janet. Um, you know, I have grown up in Alaska. I was really fortunate to be part of rural Alaska and Alaska Village Missions as a kid and then as a young adult. And I came to Solid Rock in 2001 and spent 15 years uh, running their, or serving as their equine facility manager. Spent a couple of summers as their wilderness program manager. And in November of 2019, I had the privilege of becoming the executive director here at Solid Rock Bible Camp. That's really awesome. And I, I should have actually started this with getting first things first. I want to uh, make you a little jealous. It is 72 degrees and sunny here in Concord. Why don't you tell us what your weather's like today in Saldana? Well, it's it's far from 72. It's <laughs> it's about 14 degrees right now and uh, still very, It's well, it's snowing currently. So <laughs> it, it's going to be a long spring. Right, It's it, which is why you all always only see us in the summertime. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty brutal. Uh, God bless you. So we met Noah at Solid Rock last summer for the first time when we took a small team of eight people there strictly to do a construction project. Uh, so we had six gentlemen and a couple of ladies, brave ladies, that were able to go over there and take care of a few projects. I think we hung some sheetrock inside of a cabin did some siding on the outside of a cabin, built a nice big deck on the backside of one of the cabins, and on the final day decided, oh, why not? Let's go ahead and put a roof on that deck. So in a short week, eight people got quite a bit accomplished. Noah, can you tell my church family a little bit about why it is important to you and Solid Rock to have teams like ours come in there to walk alongside you? Absolutely, yeah. So Solid Rock's mission and what we've been doing since 1958 is uh, providing youth of Alaska with outdoor experiences to encourage a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And our, our aim is to provide a unique environment that removes those campers from distractions and expectations of everyday life. And it's easy to, to recognize programs involvement in that mission as kind of the frontline workers, if you will. But 
it's unavoidable to recognize that without the facility, without the physical plant of camp, we would really struggle in, in, in fulfilling that mission. Um, so there's definitely a physical need that we have, but even beyond the physical need, part of the environment that we really hope to foster and continue here at camp is a coming together and accountability of self to the body of Christ, a, a collaboration with other believers. You know, I, I say that this is not my ministry. This is not any one, one person's ministry. Solid Rock Bible Camp is a ministry of the Holy Spirit working through the lives of people that he has called here. And that's people from Pitts, Pitts Baptist in Concord, North Carolina. That's young people from Bolivia this summer. It's just exciting. We have people from all over the world coming this summer, and it's exciting to see the way that God builds community here at camp to help us achieve our mission. That's powerful. Noah, thank you so much. And church family, you have now met Noah Proctor at Solid Rock Bible Camp. Um, I hope you'll follow us along on our Facebook page, Pitts Baptist Church Missions. If you're not already following that, you're missing what's happening in uh, Africa this week with our youth. So I hope you'll jump on over to that page and start following it. We will continue to do that as we go to Anchorage, Saldotna, and then later in the summer, Paris. So stay tuned for more. Noah, thank you so much for joining me today. It's so great to see you. We will see you in June. That sounds good. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Well, amen. We're going to be doing this as a mission moment for you to be uh, knowing what's happening with our church family. Uh, there's mission projects going on all the time, and our mission committee wants to keep you, our church family, uh, informed of what's happening. Let me just uh, start out by saying welcome this morning. Thank you for being here. If you're a guest of ours, we ask you to take one of the care cards. Uh, they're located in the pew rack there in front of you. Uh, fill that in. We would love to have your name and information and at least try to send you something from our church. And thank you for being with us in worship. On the back of the care card for everybody is a place for you to put any prayer items. If you have a prayer need and would like the staff to know about that and be praying for you, take a moment to fill that in. As you leave today, there are two boxes on the post on either side of the double door, a white box. You can place those there, and we'll make sure they get uh, to the right person. But again, thank you for being with us this morning. A quick update on our youth mission team. Uh, they've had a great week. I know the first day of Vacation Bible School, they reported that they had 100 decisions for Christ at Vacation Bible School. And so we're going to be looking forward to a uh, report from them, uh, some other things that have happened. Uh, they should be probably either loading a plane or like taking off or in the air from JFK right now, probably very tired. And so be praying for them. I know did get a report this morning that one of them, uh, Dave Gorley, is not feeling real well. Um, and some of the other boys were not feeling real good. And so they've been checked out by the nurses and things there, but they're on their way home. Uh, if, you, if you think about uh, those guys, just say a prayer for them. And we'll do that in just a moment. <clears throat> I'm sure they're very tired. Some other events that are coming up, we do have a ladies' event called Complete Joy. It's a ladies' mother-daughter tea on Thursday, May the 4th at 6.30. Uh, they'll be doing a step-by-step -step canvas painting. Uh, the cost is $10, and tickets are available beginning today through April 30th at the information desk in the lobby. And then we have a Senior Adult Day coming up on Sunday, May the 7th. 
Uh, it's a very special day here. Uh, we'll have a special service with a speaker and lunch afterward in the core. And we also would like to know, uh, be watching for sign-up sheets on that to make sure that we have the right amount of food for you folks for that dinner. And then there's also ladies' small groups, growth groups beginning. Uh, they'll be meeting twice a month starting in May, going through October. The cost is $10 for the workbook, and you also can sign up at the information desk. Our Annie Armstrong goal for missions, uh, our church has a $70,000 goal. All of those funds go toward our missionaries who work here right in North America. Right now we're at $52,150, so a little bit uh, below $18,000 left, and we leave that open through the end of the month. So if you've not been able to give to that, please be in prayer about that and, and do what God has you to do on that. Our food roundup is a collection of food items for our Baptist children's homes across the state. Uh, there is a suggested list of things to bring at the info desk. The bins are in the lobby here and also in the lobby in the core, if you can help us with that. That does help feed our children and our Baptist children's homes across the state. And then we have a family camp out coming up at TN Spencer Park at the end of April. It's April 28th and 29th. There's a sign-up sheet in the lobby area and also an information sheet about all the details. Please go by and get one of those. It's just one night, overnight. Anybody can live in a tent for one night, right? So anyway, come be a part of that. Uh, it's always a great time. And then uh, we also, on what's the date again? April, Jonathan? 24th. Uh, we'll be taking a group to our Baptist Singers uh, concert at University Hills in Charlotte. They'll be leaving at 545 on the big bus. And there's also a sign-up sheet uh, at the info desk. A lot happening. Please get the, uh, if you don't have it, get our Friday Blast so you know all the events that are happening here at Pitts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll continue in worship. God, we do thank you for today. And God, we, um, we just pray that today's service would be pleasing to you, God. That you would use Pastor Scott in a special way. We know you've given him a message, God. Just speak through him to our hearts that we might be challenged and be more like Jesus for being here today. God, if there's someone in this room that doesn't know the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that maybe even today would be a day when they would hear your voice and be willing to say yes and become your child. God, we do pray for our youth team. We know they've had an incredible week in Malawi, Africa. God, thank you for keeping them safe and getting them back to the States. God, we pray for them as they're even in flight right now, God, that you'd watch over them. Be with those who are not feeling well, uh, that it would be nothing serious, God, that they would uh, be able to come home and get some rest and feel better very soon, God. We pray for the requests that are represented in this room. We know there are many. And so, God, we pray that you give us wisdom for those requests, that we would know what to do and when we would know when to just be still and let you work, God. Give us a great day today. Help us to worship you in all that we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? <laughs> came forth to be born of a virgin 
dwelt among men, my example is he. The word became flesh and the light shined among us, his glory revealed. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. Oh, 
있습니다. 뉴펀란드 is called the rock because life here is hard. It's mind-boggling how little churches there are. We are here in Kilbride, and in 1892, the, the last church existed in Kilbride. It burnt down in 1892, uh, and so the gospel hasn't been preached here in 128 years. There's a lot of young families here, and so we set out to have people in our home. We are seeing the gospel transforming people. But still, when we are gathering on Sundays, I'm always reminding of how outnumbered we are. It's the rock, because it's, it's very hard to plant seeds here. But Lord, here I am, send me. Just echo what Kevin said earlier, our uh, appreciation to you for your giving to the Annie Armstrong uh, Easter offering for North American Missions. Uh, you do have a few more weeks to contribute to that uh, before that offering is uh, closed out. Let me ask you today to pray for the Seeger family and the Munn family. They have a big event happening today at Iron Station. Uh, a wedding so I'm sure uh, Kevin you'll see him slip out pretty quickly he's going around checking the campus now uh, we'll probably see nothing but his heels after the uh, service as they are transitioning over to Iron Station this afternoon so pray for these two families uh, in our church a very exciting day uh, for them uh, Take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 11 as we continue our walk uh, through the shortest of the Gospels and looking this morning at the subject matter, cursed, cursed. And I'll be reading in verse, uh, beginning in verse 12 of Mark chapter 11 and reading down through verse 19. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word please? Mark 11, 12 to 19. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching.'" 
And when evening came, they went out of the city. Father, we thank you for this week that we've just come through where we celebrate the resurrected life of your Son and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God, as we go through these verses today, it would be our prayer that we would see your fingerprints all over our lives. That your life would be evident in and through us by the fruit that we produce for your glory. Lord, give us understanding of these verses today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Folks, we turn today to look at perhaps one of the most misunderstood of all passages in the New Testament. Now, you will recall the last time we left off together, we were looking at the triumphal entry. And as we saw then, we know what the Jews were expecting. They were thinking Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem that week. He would set up his kingly throne, the throne of David. He would throw off the Roman yoke of oppression and he would rule uh, from Jerusalem forever. They were thinking that Rome's days were almost over. Now we read last time also that it was late when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And he went into the temple and he looked around and he left. Now we need to understand this is the second temple. We know that Solomon's temple was destroyed by the Babylonians and, and when Judah was in exile for 70 years and then Cyrus the Persian issued the decree that the Jews could go back home and rebuild their land. They started doing that in Old Testament times. And then King Herod, Herod the Great, came to power in 37 B.C. And in an attempt to appease the Jews, along about 19 B.C., he began renovations on the second temple. And those renovations would continue all the way until 64 A.D. Meaning that it was finished just six years before it would be completely destroyed again by the Romans in 70 A.D. Now again, as we saw last time, after looking around, Jesus left for Bethany with the 12 disciples. Bethany and Bethpage were little villages that were only about two miles away from Jerusalem, lying on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And as we come to our text today, perhaps we need to understand that Jesus has been up all night probably in prayer. But at any rate, in verse 12, we are told that he was hungry. Now, what we will see in these verses is Jesus' rejection of barrenness on the part of Israel, particularly Israel's leadership. They had failed in their mission to be a light to the nations. 
They had turned what was supposed to be a vibrant faith into nothing more than a ritualistic and burdensome set of laws. These verses right here serve as a reminder to disciples of Christ that we've got to live out lives of fruitfulness. We've got to carry out God's intended purposes for our lives. And if we fail to do that, we will bring God's judgment upon ourselves. I want you to see with me, first of all, this morning that barrenness is cursed. Look again at verse 12 and following. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Probably one of the most misunderstood events in all of Scripture. Actually, the only miracle Jesus did that involved destruction. Now, there are some incorrect ways to look at this text, and people have written about these. Again, these would be the wrong views. But one writer, for example, has said that what happened here was a gross injustice on a tree that was guilty of no wrong. Another has said it is a tale of miraculous power wasted in the service of ill temper. For the supernatural energy employed to blast the unfortunate tree might have been more usefully expended in forcing a crop of figs out of season. And as it stands, it is simply incredible. Another writer still says this story does not seem worthy of Jesus. Folks, all of those positions entirely miss the point. Jesus is not acting like a spoiled brat. There's no anger. There's no malice. This is not some kind of out of control temper tantrum. This is intended to be an object lesson. It is a powerful object lesson against Israel and again against Israel's leadership. Jesus sees the fig tree in the distance. It's covered in leaves. Now, I know the text here says it was out of season, but there's something you need to understand. There's there's two different words in the Greek text for figs. There's the young figs that are not very tasty, but yet they're still edible. They just haven't matured yet. And then there's another word that refers to figs that are fully ripened, fully mature, and they're ready to be eaten. It was not the season yet for those mature tour figs and what we need to also understand is once a fig tree comes into leaf it already has the young figs on it the young figs bud out they come out before even the leaves show up again they weren't very tasty but they were edible 
And this is a very critical point to see because unless the reader knows this, you could read right over this text and miss a critical point. Fig trees produce a bud first which turns into a small fruit and then the leaves appear as the fruit continues to ripen. And so anytime you saw leaves that had appeared, you would normally see figs at some stage of development. And figs in this part of the world would put leaves on from February until April. Passover was in April, and so this is probably very early April. But as Jesus approaches the tree, it is barren. There are no figs. The leaves have given the appearance from a distance that the fig tree would have been filled with the young figs, but there were none. There was no fruit. And again, sadly, this is, this is a snapshot of Israel, what Israel had become. The whole system of Judaism that was developed after the exile gave the appearance of life and vitality, but it was nothing more than a system of laws and regulations. Folks, don't equate first century Judaism with the Hebrew faith when Israel had first entered in to the promised land. Jesus had even told a parable illustrating this. He told a parable about a person who sweeps their house clean. And he talks about in sweeping the house clean, there's an unclean spirit that is cast out of the house and the houses continue to be swept clean. But the house was left empty. It wasn't filled with anything. And so after a while... The unclean spirit returned and saw that the house it had once occupied had been swept clean, but it had been left unoccupied. So the unclean spirit went and got other unclean spirits with him, and they all moved back into the house, and the last state of the house became worse than the first. This is what the Jewish leadership had done after the Babylonian captivity. They had gone into captivity because of sin. Specifically the sin of idolatry and failing to observe the Sabbaths. And so once they came back from the exile... The leadership that developed during the years between the Old Testament and New Testament made sure to sweep the nation clean. They were determined to put laws and regulations into practice so that the sin which had caused the exile to begin with would never happen again. But while they had swept the house clean, they failed to build back true heart commitment and change. It was religion from the outside. It was a religion of appearance only. And again, as Jesus said in that other parable, the last state ends up being worse than the first. Folks, this is what the Pharisees had turned the Jewish faith into. It was like a fig tree that looked good from a distance, but on close examination there was no fruit. 
over and over again. Jesus had condemned the religion of the Pharisees and the scribes. Here were people who gave a visible appearance of great spirituality, great devotion to God, but on close inspection they were nothing more than hypocrites. Jesus even described them as whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And in this condition they really had no message to preach to the nations. In fact, Jesus said on another occasion that they would travel land and sea to reach one convert. And then when they reached that one convert, they would make him twice the son of hell that they were. And so what is Jesus doing in this story about this fig tree? He is cursing dead religion. A religion of appearance only without any inner heart change, without any fruit. I want you to take your Bibles with me a moment and turn back to Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7, because I want you to understand how even in the Old Testament they were beginning to turn the temple into this. And in Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, the scripture says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand at the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds. And I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words saying this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds and if you truly execute justice one with another and if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow or shed innocent blood in this place and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered? Only to go on doing all of these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. What was a den of robbers? A den of robbers was a hideout that a gang, for example, uses between hit jobs. They do a hit job and they run there to the den of robbers and they count the loot and they get ready for their, their next hit job. And, and, and Jeremiah the prophet, or God through Jeremiah, is saying to people even in the, in the Old Testament times, this is what you've turned my house into. You're living any old way you want to out in the world. You're caring about your lives in the sins that people in the world would live by. And then you stop over at my house every weekend, every Sabbath, and you worship me in vain. You say all the right words, but as soon as the worship service is over, you go back to your life as it is before, as it was before. You've turned it into a den of robbers. There's no life change. 
church. There's no fruit in your lives. And there's no genuine worship because of that. I want you to look at the New Testament, what Jesus said about this in in John chapter 15, what, what our lives are supposed to be like. In John 15, Jesus said, I'm the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. What is it that the scripture is saying gives evidence of the genuineness of our faith? It is fruitfulness that comes from a heart that has been changed. Now, folks, these are, these are words of strong warning for people today. You know, we can go to church, we can look good on the outside, we can look even better than our neighbors and might even think of ourselves better than our neighbors. We can even have years of perfect attendance at church. And you know what? We can be as lost as lost can get. In fact, some of the hardest people to reach down through the years have been lost religious folks. Religious but never born again. We've got to ask ourselves, has our life been changed? Are we a new creation in Christ? Do we bear the fruit of the Spirit? Remember the fruit of the Spirit over in Galatians 5, Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Do our lives possess the fruit of the Spirit? We need to understand that's what God is looking for. And that's what God brings about in our lives when we're born again, when he changes us. Religion in and of itself can't do that. Now they were proud of their temple. Hey, people today can be proud of their church. A church can have great statistics every year. You know, people can can brag on their church. But we've got to stop and ask ourselves, is there spiritual life in us evidenced by the fruit that we show? 
This has always been the great danger of religion. Religion is meant to be a blessing to us. It is a blessing to be a part of a community of worshipers. And so don't take this passage or this message to be against organized religion, so to speak, because we're to worship corporately. But if we're not careful... Church life can produce a false sense of security. We think the security lies in the institution of the church itself. Folks, a lot of people in churches today perhaps are nothing more than a fig tree with pretty leaves and nothing else. There's no fruit. And notice the danger of this. Barrenness can be lasting. In verse 14 he said, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. If people don't wake up to their barrenness, it just gets entrenched. What did Jesus do? He cursed this barrenness. He cursed it. On September the 6th, 1520, Martin Luther wrote an open letter to the Pope, to Pope Leo X. And here's what he said to the Pope. And I quote here. The Roman church, once the holiest of all, has become the most licentious den of thieves, the most shameless of all brothels, The kingdom of sin, death, and hell. It is so bad that even Antichrist himself, if he should come, could think of nothing to add to its wickedness. Wow. Those are some strong words. But you know what, folks? That's the same type words Jesus had against Israel and Israel's leadership here in this passage. And again, understand something here. Jesus isn't just talking about a fig tree. He's talking about his people, his nation. Second thing I want you to see, not only only is, is barrenness cursed, but I want you to see, secondly, worldliness is cursed. Verse 15, they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching and when evening came they went out of the city Jesus comes to the temple next and I want you to notice what he does when he when he gets there he begins to drive out the money changers now let's understand here what would happen people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover each year in the spring of the year The population of Jerusalem would grow as much as ten times its normal size. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that 
one Passover year in 66 AD, 255,000 lambs were bought, sold, and sacrificed in the temple courts for the Passover. 255,000 lambs slaughtered. Keep in mind, one lamb could be offered for up to 10 people. And so the population during Passover has been estimated to possibly even gone as high as 2.5 million people. Though that could be exaggerated a bit. Many of these pilgrims, keep in mind what's happened, many of them in Israel, Israel about the size of the state of New Jersey, they've traveled into Jerusalem and they didn't jump in their cars back then. They walked or rode their mule or whatever. Uh, so they've made this journey into Jerusalem, some from a long ways away. It's taken them maybe days to get there. And there had been a business set up. You see, some people might choose to bring their sacrificial animal with them. But a business had been set up there at the temple. And the Sadducees were leaders of this on the temple grounds. That they had started offering to pilgrims coming in for Passover. That you could wait until you got there. To buy your sacrificial animal. And you also wouldn't run the risk that way of bringing your animal with you. And then the priests discover that maybe it's not a perfect specimen. So it's not even a specimen that you could use in the sacrifice. And so what they've done is they've set up this business of all these sacrificial animals that have been temple approved and priest approved. And you can just wait till you get there to buy it. Convenience. And so again, the Sadducees had made a business of this. They had a racket going. They would set up a marketplace in the temple courts where pilgrims could buy what they needed. I think you're beginning to see a problem here. It said that the markup was shameful. The markup would be as much as 16 times. What a sacrificial animal would truly cost. Oh, and then there were the money changers. A lot of currency from the outside regions around Jerusalem had idolatrous images on the coinage. And so if you showed up at the temple during Passover and you wanted to buy a sacrifice with, with the coinage you had, you couldn't. You had to exchange it for acceptable coinage. There was also an outrageous markup for this money exchange. And so the religious authorities had turned Passover into a money-making racket. Here was supposed to be one of their most sacred Jewish festivals that they were commanded to observe every year. And those in charge of the temple and the temple sacrifices had turned it into a money-making endeavor. And Jesus was infuriated when he saw this. And then on top of that, Look at where this market was. It was in the outer courtyard of the temple. 
the outer courtyard of the temple was the only area of the temple where God-fearing Gentiles could go to worship. Gentiles couldn't go into the temple. The courtyard was set up for them. It was an area of 35 acres. And this was the area where God-fearing Gentiles who had come to worship Israel's God could likewise go up to the festivals and they could take part in the worship and the sacrifice and the celebrations. And it's in this outer courtyard area that the temple authorities have turned it into this big market buying sacrificial animals and money changers and so in the very area where gentiles could worship it was nothing more than a loud chaotic place of buying and selling who in the world could worship in an environment like that that's what was going on Verse 15 says, Jesus drove them out. And it is the same forceful word that is used of Jesus casting out demons. Verse 16, it was also supposed to be that anybody coming to the temple mount was not to use it as a a thoroughfare or a roadway you were to go there to worship here they were however using the whole temple grounds as a highway for their buying and selling and what's Jesus do Jesus puts a stop to it and in verse 17 he says is it not written my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations but you've made it a den of robbers folks what's this say to us Places of worship are to be places of worship. We're not to turn it in to something else. Scholars will also point out that it's not just, it's not strong enough, it's not nearly strong enough language to refer to this as the cleansing of the temple. They say that's not strong enough. What we have here is not just the cleansing of the temple. What we have here is the rejection of the temple. Jesus will soon say to his disciples in the Olivet Discourse, not one stone here will be left on another. The temple as they knew it was about to be gone. It was about to be replaced. Jesus said, tear down this temple and I will raise it again in three days of course he's speaking of his own body in other words folks Christ is the new temple where we commune with God folks this is profound don't miss it they had come to the temple for centuries to make sacrifice and to commune with God but as the book of Hebrews points out all that is about to become obsolete Jesus is forming a new temple which resides in him 
He offered himself as the once for all complete sacrifice for sin. And it's also through him that we're ushered into the holy of holies to commune with God. And so everything about this earthly temple in Jerusalem is soon to be obsolete. And we need to remember that today it is those who are in Christ who make up the temple. The temple is Christ and those who are in Christ. Christ is the chief cornerstone. As Peter said in 1 Peter, and we're building blocks, we're building stones in this new temple. And as this new temple, we are to be a light to the nations. We're not to be cluttered by the sins and the stains of the world. We're to be holy and we're to worship in spirit and in truth and we're to bear fruit. In a sense, what was expected of the physical temple in the Old Covenant is now expected of the people of God, the body of Christ, in the New Covenant. And we need to be very careful that what happened to the physical temple in Jerusalem doesn't happen to this new temple in Christ. If we allow the same sins to enter in, we'll face judgment of God as surely as they did. We're to be a pure and a holy temple. A temple in which He resides. A temple from which His message goes forth as light to the world. Let me give you some lessons this morning. First of all, I want you to see that fruitfulness is an indicator of genuine faith. I want to ask you today, does your life bear the fruit of showing that Jesus is in you, that he's changed you? Does your life show the marks of true conversion? That you've been born from above, born of the Spirit. You become a new creation in Christ. And instead of all those old sins bearing that ugly fruit, you're a new creation in Christ. doesn't mean you're perfect, but you're a new creation in Christ. Your whole orientation and life has changed and what you're about. And you, you bear fruit to His glory. Has that happened in you? Does your life give evidence of that? And folks, to continue to bear that fruit, when he changes us, what you and I have got to do, just as he said in John 15, we've got to abide in him. He's the vine. Life comes to the branches through the vine. We're branches, that's all. Life is not in us. Life is in Jesus. We need his life. He's the vine flowing into us, the branches, because it's only as we're abiding him in him that way can we bear fruit that will honor him. That's how you bear that fruit. You abide in him. Again, is all of this happening in your life? Your life has been changed. You bear a different kind of fruit now than you used to when you were the old man or old woman outside of Christ. You're bearing new fruit and you're continuing to bear this new fruit through abiding in Him. Secondly, in the Bible, the emphasis is not upon the outside of the man but on the heart. 
What does religion try to do? Religion tries to impose rules and guidelines from the outside in. And that doesn't work. Christ changes people from the inside out. And this is why Jesus even told one of the most religious men in Jerusalem, one of the most religious men in all Israel, Nicodemus, He said to Nicodemus one night, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. He told a religious man that his religion in and of itself was not enough. He needed something more. He needed something from above that only the spirit of the living God can do in a person's life. Again, it's a change from the inside out. And when we're changed from the inside out, then the outer work is just an outgrowth, an overflow of what he's done on the inside. A third lesson. The church is to be a place where we come to worship, not to make business or social connections. If church is no more than a place that you think will be good for your reputation or to advance your career, or your standing in the community, you are treating the church no differently than the money changers were treating the temple. They were using it as a means of profit, or for their own benefit. And sadly, people still do stuff like that today. Lives that bear fruit... Lives that are clean, that show that we abide in Christ, that we're part of a new temple. Again, does your life give evidence of that? If not, I beg of you, come to Christ before it's too late. Father, we thank you for these words. Hard-hitting words today just like they would have been hard-hitting words to Jesus' audience. It's no wonder that when Jesus did what he did, when he drove the money changers out, the religious leaders were looking for an occasion to kill him. Father, help us to use your house in the way that you intend. And and remind us that we're your house. We're your temple. The temple now is in Christ. You meet with people in Christ through him, his sacrificial death. He's the one that takes us into the Holy of Holies. We're the new temple. God, may we be pure and clean and holy, and may our lives bear fruit that show the work that you've done in us. God, I pray for that one this morning who would be honest enough perhaps to come to the realization that they've been religious all of their lives going through the outer motions, but their heart has never been changed. They've never been born again. Lord, help them to see what needs to happen 
And may they respond to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit calling to them to come to Christ. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen.